Well, good afternoon, everyone, both to our audience here in London and online. I'm Sara Pantuliano, I'm the Chief Executive at 2DI, and I have the real pleasure to welcome all of you to our event on putting the Glasgow Climate Pact into action, accounting for vulnerability. I think this discussion comes to at a very important time, you know, pressure is really mounting to reform how multilateral development banks and climate funds operate. We're really trying to make sure that they provide more affordable long-term finance and that relief to those who need it the most. And it is in this context that we need to rethink how we measure development. I think for too long, we've you know, relied on, on a very crude metric, you know, the GNI per capita metric, which you know, decides where finance should be allocated, where development money should go. Um, but you know, as shocks multiply, the climate crisis deepens, vulnerability as an indicator of the ability to withstand and, and build back from shocks actually may, may tell us a lot more about you know, a country's development trajectory. And this is particularly true for small island developing states or seeds as they're commonly known, you know, the location of the seeds. I think it makes them uniquely vulnerable to climate related shocks. You know, natural hazards like hurricanes or typhoons can wipe out 200% of an island's GDP overnight. And because of their small size, SEEDs have actually limited adaptation options. Um, it's very difficult, you know, to recover for shocks of, of that size. And so several islands are facing existential threats from sea level rise. And more and more SEEDs face unsustainable levels of debt um, because the cost of disaster recovery is, you know, mounting every day. And despite these vulnerabilities to climate impacts, our recent report to the eye on a fair share of resilience finance has showed very clearly that small island developing states receive less climate resilience funding than any other developing country groups. I'll just give you a few stats. They receive seven times less finance than least developed countries, 11 times less finance than lower middle income countries, and five times less finance than upper middle income countries. I think this, the figures speak for themselves. In recent years at ODI, we have focused increasingly on challenging um, or this, you know, these assumptions around development and really um, helping build resilience in small island developing states through our Resilient and Sustainable Island Initiative, um, also known as RESI. RESI is really deeply involved in researching and throwing light on this you know, very unique development challenge that affects um, the small island developing states. And so it's really our pleasure to host this conversation today. This is the first public event on the UN new um, multidimensional vulnerability index. Uh, this new index will be launched in July and it will be really a, a critical tool to help donors and banks in particular implement you know, the changes we are discussing. So I hope that this event today will provide um, an opportunity to discuss the principles of the index and see how it could transform international development and climate finance. Um, I'm really delighted to introduce the moderator for this session. Is Excellency Dr. Paul Lutero. Um, he's the permanent representative of Samoa to the United Nations, but he's really well known and deeply respected um, for uh, in on development and climate issues for his leadership on um, the matters we're discussing today, particularly for the small island and developing states. Um, so welcome, Dr. Lutero. I thank you all and Your Excellency, over to you. Thank you very much, uh, Sarah. Thank you. Um, and thank you to ODI for uh, hosting this. This is uh, a very important uh, session. Um, and we have uh, three uh, very distinguished uh, panelists uh, to respond to some of the issues that I'm sure uh, most of you want some answers to. But before uh, introducing uh, our panelists, I just want to make a few uh, very brief remarks uh, in the context of our uh, uh, meeting today. 
SITs have uh, long advocated for a system that takes account of their inherent vulnerability that goes beyond the simple notation of their income profile. This calls formally enter the UN system in 1994 as at the first international conference on SITs. Since then, they have been reiterated in two other international conferences in 2004 and 2014, as well as in the UN resolution and other document. It is a representation of three decades of advocacy by SITS. So it's not something new. It is not until 2020 that AOSIS was able to finally secure a call for targeted work on the multi-dimensional vulnerability index, as opposed to acknowledgement of the importance of such a body of work. A 12-member high-level panel was constituted in March of last year, and the body of work that you will be introduced to today is a combination of the work of the panel and other experts. The panel is co-chaired by uh, Ms. Erna Solberg, a former Prime Minister of Norway and Prime Minister Kasten Brown of Antigua uh, and Barbuda. It's my distinct honor to chair today's session as we discuss high level principle of adopting an MVI to transform development and climate finance. I now turn to our first uh, panelist, uh, His Excellent, uh, Excellence C. Kasten Brown, Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda. Before entering politics, PM Brown was a banker and a businessman. Prime Minister Brown's contribution is pre-recorded and will focus primarily on the question of why we need a multi-dimensional vulnerability index. My fellow co-chair, Ms. Ernest Solberg, Chair of AOSIS and fellow high-level panel member, Ambassador Luteru, distinguished guests on today's discussion panel, ladies and gentlemen. I want to start by first offering my sincere thanks to ODI and other organizers for convening this event on vulnerability, an urgent topic of grave concern to all of us in the developing world. My dear friends, in my time chairing the high-level expert panel on the multi-dimensional vulnerability index, I have come to realize that defining vulnerability is a difficult and politically fraught process, far less measuring it. However, at the same time, I am convinced, now more than ever, how absolutely necessary it is that we do so and the urgency which is required. Climate change, incidents of pandemics and changes in income distribution that technology and globalized competition have produced are generating huge disruptions for the most vulnerable that was never contemplated by an outdated model. In that context, Small island developing states like mine tick all the vulnerability boxes. Our countries are remote, completely surrounded by water, and prone to being easily cut off from the rest of the world. We tend to have narrow resource bases, and our limited land space imposes hard limits on how much our population and economies can ever grow in absolute terms, irrespective of how much we try to diversify our economies. You would think these known facts would propel us to the front or near to the front of the line when it comes to equitable access to both climate finance and developmental finance. You would be very wrong. In 2020, of the 39 billion climate finance delivered bilaterally, SIDS accounted for 3%. Of the 3.1 billion delivered by the multilateral climate funds that we fought with blood, sweat, and tears, only 7% went to islands on the front lines, 
and of the 38 billion mobilized by the multilateral development banks, received a paltry 2%. I don't know about you, but the message that that, that sends me is that when it comes to the climate crisis, we are already viewed as a lost cause. In the sphere of developmental finance, our process are equally grim. We are still being asked to achieve the SDGs by 2030 with the millstone, that is the GNI per capita criterion hanging around our necks. Ladies and gentlemen, size matters, volume matters, a small population and highly specialized economy can, in good times, generate misleading GNI per capita stats. So, yes, under these prevailing circumstances, an MVI is absolutely necessary. It is essential. Ladies and gentlemen, I would be the first to admit that the MVI in its first iteration will not be the finished article. I mean, data gaps remain, and missing data simply would not allow for a true and complete picture on the ground vulnerabilities for developing countries, and particularly for SIDS. But our work is more than just building out a product. It is building out a process for the continued refinement of that product. And I can assure you that a clear output of this process will be recommendations to fill these data gaps in the short to medium term across critical indicators that are currently too incomplete to be considered. The MVI is not an end in itself. And in your deliberations today, I urge you not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Do not let perfect be the enemy of the good. The MVI cannot be just another academic exercise to be endlessly picked apart before it has had a chance to be. This index can potentially impact real lives. The MVI, as a diagnostic tool, can be used to justify improved, simplified access for the most vulnerable countries to any existing funds designed to boost resilience across both environmental and socioeconomic metrics, including climate finance, where shortcomings or unequal access currently exists. It can help us to gain the access to the concessional financing that we need to improve our long-term national planning, service debts, by providing debt sustainability and spur the development of insurance and compensation schemes that may be our last hope when the waters rise. I urge you all gathered here today to stand on the right side of history and be an ally to this noble cause. I thank you. We, uh, we thank the Honorable Prime Minister for his uh, very passionate uh, and direct uh, comments. And uh, we now move to our next uh, contributor, uh, Ms. Erna Solberg. As I mentioned earlier on, uh, she is a former uh, Prime Minister of Norway, current leader of the opposition, uh, also minister and parliamentarian. But I think <clears throat> she uh, has a very strong commitment to global solution. And, uh, you know, we, we would like to hear from you, Ms. Solberg, in terms of how, if you can share with us on the work on the panel and what needs uh, to happen next. Well, I'll try to answer that. I think my co-chair has made a, a very good appeal for, for why there is a need for, for an MVI, why there's a need for to get out of that head of, of thinking that, that uh, GNI per capita is the only measurement of, of development in a world where we have a lot of um, challenges to the idea that if you just manage well, if you build education, resilience and others in your society, you will develop because natural hazards Climate change happens. We have pandemic. We have a lot of things that are affecting us, and it's affecting very differently in the world. Uh, it's uh, uh, we are in a different climate belt. Uh, we are in different areas where where the aspects, and of course there are different resilience. Uh, there are countries that are vulnerable but very rich, so they can handle their vulnerability. There are countries that are 
not so vulnerable and poor and need development at the same time. So it's not to exclude that because you need to do both, but it is important to do. And the NVI is trying to look at these structural aspects that leads to that because you can have bad policies that leads to little development, but you can have also structural problems for your country. For example, how, uh, how often are you hit by a hurricane or how often are there a natural disaster? Is your income very dependent on, on a specific good that is that will be affected by an economic crisis around the world? Everybody knows that now that the pandemic was a large challenge to a lot of country on the medical side, but to a lot of developing countries, it was an economic hit that was very difficult. And the Ukrainian crisis now leads to effects on higher gas prices and higher, uh, and, and higher food prices than what we have seen in a long time, which makes countries more vulnerable uh, in different ways. And, and, and our job has been to try to find what are those structural vulnerabilities? When something like this hits, which countries will be hit the most? And who is too often hit by this so that they that we need to build both their resilience, but also make sure that even if they have higher income, you can put in, uh, you will need uh, extra supplement because they, for example, are so small that even if the higher the GNI per capita is high, if you're too few, I mean, it's devastating and it's difficult to come to move forward. But our work is in a way, and there's going to be a discussion on technicality, the tech, I wouldn't call it technicalities because this is very important part, but it that's the whole idea is that we have to look for which type of of both which vulnerabilities are structural, but also which resilient points are structural, uh, to make sure that we have a case for not policy decided um, uh, lackages in a country that would need extra financing. Uh, I think, and I, if I look at it from a donor country side, uh, Norway has had one percentage of its of its GNI in 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 uh, in a development aid for the last 10 years. We've been on the highest ranking of that. And 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 I think to us, it's important that uh, what our money is going through is in fact uh, development, but also to compensate, of course, for some of that and uh, uh, of the climate changes, but to make sure that it's, that we are not supporting bad policies in countries. So we're looking for the structural parts. What's systematic? What is it that, uh, that uh, and the whole MVI is built on that. And it's built on a mandate given by the UN. And I, I sometimes say all UN processes are compromises. Mm. Uh, the MVI, even though it's called an MVI for SIDS, has not a mandate that says it's only for SIDS. It said it's universal, which means that you can rank or put the same to all countries in the world, that you have to look at the vulnerabilities that is not only uh, SIDS, but also landlocked countries, for example, vulnerabilities. You, you have to take that as long as the mandate is uh, universal. And I think it's a strength, to be honest, that it's universal, because I think it's easier for others to accept. My problem has also been seen in this, uh, and we are trying to, to build on the basis of that. And then we are looking at which resilience parts is, is structural. And there is, of course, as um, Prime Minister Brown said, we have not built a perfect model because we see that there are lackages in what type of data we have. We have lackages in the situation that we're in, 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 um, uh, in which indices we can use because, because there's not enough data on countries around. And there are some issues that it's not so easy to put in because there's not transparency. For example, I know that that is a big issue. We've discussed this earlier today. That is a big issue, but there's not transparency around countries that's around the world. There's a lot of donors who are not showing their cards and we need to have uh, another type of system for that, even to start to evaluate how this affects. So we have built based on these structures in, uh, an MVI, which is up for debate, <clears throat> but I think it's the first step towards something that can develop. And we have also therefore uh, put up a system of, of you know, for every, every country, there is a uh, there is a dashboard that you can look at and you can see the big vulnerabilities for the for, for for the single country that can be used by them and a custodial body system inside the UN 
to make sure that we have a development process of this MVI when it when it's finished and if it's if it's decided on in in the UN. But I think this is a moment of truth for a lot of us. We need to build this MVI, uh, and this is the time where it has to be decided on. It's not going to be perfect, but if it's good enough for a starting point for further development, then I think we have reached the time where we should, you know, in the next year, decide on having an MVI and making use for that in the, in the financing structures of development in the world as an indicator, not a sole indicator. The, the whole um, basis of this is that it's used together with the DNI. Because all we have been looking for is to find vulnerabilities and resilient indicators that is not linked to GNI. Because we have always said this is a supplement to the GNI. So you have some funny distributions on, on the score because you have some rich countries that are vulnerable, but it's because their vulnerability is based without looking at their income. Because the income will be an aspect which you always have side by because you can never get the, I think the financial institutions and donor countries to stop looking at income. They will both look at income and vulnerability through the MBI. Thank you. Thank you very much, Erna, uh, for emphasizing the critical importance of the vulnerability and resilience aspect of the MBI. I think it's also critical to focus on the uses, the intended uses of the MBI. So thank you very much for for those comments. Our last and third uh, contributor uh, is the president of the Caribbean Development Bank, um, Dr. Leon. And I want to ask you, uh, what? why do you think we need an MVI? And how could the Caribbean uh, Development Bank benefit from or use the proposed scores and rankings. Thank you very much. Um, I think maybe I want to start this by making one point, which is that we are all interested in what we can call sustainable, resilient prosperity of all citizens of our countries. And I, I start there because the point is, if it is sustainable, it means that you need to be able to maintain it. The only way you can maintain it is if you can conquer the one constant there is in the entire universe, which is uncertainty. And that uncertainty means that things change, things happen, things shock you. So you can only maintain prosperity if you have a means of handling those shocks. And the only way you can handle shocks is in our mind if you have resilience, meaning when the shock hits you, you have the ability to recover, you have the ability to withstand it and to be able to now continue along the path you were before, the sustainability criterion. So we believe that development, therefore, has to be a function of resilience. And so you have to turn the entirety of the paradigm of development that we are talking about on its head. Now, why do I say turn it on its head? Because what we've done over the years, the decades, is we've said development is proxied by GDP by GNI. And so our entire focus has been on growing that GDP GNI amount. Now, if you're going to grow it, you put a framework in place. And that framework is what policies, what investments you need to undertake to grow. And that is why we have the problem we have now. That measure of GNI is a poor proxy a poor proxy to development. And therefore, if you are structuring your policies on growing GNI, you will not get a good impact on development. And so in the end, it boils down to 
you need to be able to measure better to be able to target better with your policies. That is the one fundamental principle we start with at the, at the CDB. And so what we have been arguing is you need a different anchor. An anchor that is not to replace GNI, and I'm very glad that we need to make that clear. An anchor that is more inclusive than GNI. And that is what we think of as the internal resilience capacity of a country. So every country, every country in the world has an internal resilience capacity, the ability to absorb and to come out of a particular shock to generate development. Our countries, in particular SIDS, Caribbean SIDS, we have a specific set of circumstances whereby shocks that can hit us, whether they be pure climate or economic or other, have the particular peculiarity that our ability to recover takes extremely long periods of time. And so that has led us to the point that we need to be able to distinguish vulnerabilities as a susceptibility, a pre-event idea from the types of shocks that you could have, economic, climate, and other, the impact of those when they occur on your ability to sustain yourself, meaning recover and continue to grow, your resilience. And it is only when you package those three things together you generally have a means of asking what policies do you need to do to be able to genuinely develop in a larger than GNI sense. And that is why we have embraced so much the idea of the MVI. Because for us, the MVI that captures both vulnerability and resilience become that wider measure that if we could in principle utilize it, we have a much structured better way of continuing to develop our countries in the midst of all of the uncertainty that exists around us. And so the MVI as a first pass, as we've heard from both Prime Minister Brown, um, is that it is a first measure that is better suited, more equitable, more equal than GNI for purposes of development. Is it perfect? It's not yet perfect. As an index, it can only do one part of the equation. It can allow us to see who is maybe more vulnerable. But now as a policy tool, which parts of that vulnerability will help generate the resilience to help provide the development that we are talking about, that equally needs to be worked on. And we think it can be captured through what we are calling a vulnerability and resilience assessment tool that can be captured, measured through a vulnerability and resilience country profile that is equally part of the work that the high-level panel um, has looked at and is recommending that we do, such that when you blend those together, you end up with a more perfect measure, a foundation for policy that genuinely can promote development. And so from our viewpoint at the CDB, we see the entire MVI framework which includes the index plus, plus, plus as a system that will advance development, not only of the Caribbean or for that matter, SIDS, but I would argue all developing countries in a way that GNI on its own has not been able to do and will not be able to do unless it is augmented. And, and that is the basis, uh, Ambassador, as to why we embrace the entirety of the concept and to be able to say that in very much the same way that it's taken us over 50 years as a community to finesse and to promote something that we all accept now, GDP, GNI, and we keep advancing it, 
let us start with, even if it is rudimentary, something that can augment GNI. Now, it means we are growing that understanding and continue to work on it, develop it, so that in the next 20, 30 years, it may take shorter, but next 20, 30 years, we will now have a better understanding and a better means of promoting the development of countries. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Leon, for that uh, uh, perspective from the Caribbean uh, Development Bank. Thank you also for bringing, or at least raising the issue of the uh, vulnerability resilience country profile, because I think that's very important in terms of the actual implementation on the ground for uh, member countries. So thank you very much. Because of time uh, constraints, I would like to propose that we go to the next panel and then I'll come back to you two in terms of uh, additional questions. And let me uh, introduce our first uh, panelist, Dr. Louise uh, Fox. Uh, she's also the chair of the subgroup, the technical subgroup of the uh, MVI panel. Uh, she's responsible for a lot of the, the hard work that needs to be done. So uh, I'd like to ask you, Louise, what's new about this uh, uh, MVI? And can you tell us uh, about what is special in its methodology and what it is trying to measure? Sure. Why not? On the last question, I think you've heard a bit already uh, from colleagues about what is special about the MVI. I think what I would say is it's the first, hopefully internationally accepted quantitative benchmark of this particular dimension. And it's of this particular issue and it's multidimensional. So we have already indices that measure some kinds of vulnerabilities, economic vulnerabilities or climate vulnerabilities, but the MVI crosses all the dimensions of sustainable development, economic, uh, environmental or natural, uh, and social. So it measures the vulnerabilities and uh, countries' uh, structural resilience. So structural vulnerability and resilience. So that's the first thing that's different about it is that it's multidimensional. The second thing that's different about it is it's evidence-based. Not all indices are evidence-based, but in the panel, we spend a lot of time uh, sorting through the evidence, sifting through the evidence on what factors actually do increase countries' vulnerability in each dimension. So you have some indices that include factors that we in our literature search discovered are not actually related to uh, vulnerability. Now, this index is at the national level. So it's really about national country level vulnerability. Not There are indices also of household vulnerability and they contain different set of variables or indicators because again, they're uh, measuring a different thing. So that's new. It's evidence-based, it's universal, and it's multi-dimensional. Uh, um, what was my second? You gave me three questions. I only answered one. What was, I've now forgotten the second one. Sorry, I'm from San Francisco. I might be still suffering from brain freeze. The methodology, what's... Oh, what's, so what's special about the methodology, again, that it's evidence-based, but also that, uh, you know, vulnerabilities are not uh, often... Um, common, like one country is usually not vulnerable in all the different ways in which you can be vulnerable, right? And so, uh, so we have what are called uncorrelated indicators. So we developed methods to aggregate them. Some of these methods are standard and have been used in other indices, some aren't, to try to aggregate them so that a country gets a final score on vulnerability and on resilience. So we got two pillars, vulnerability, as Gina Schooley said, uh, ex post, and um, I mean, ex ante, and uh, resilience, how you're able to adapt and uh, and grow and recover, and that's ex post. So we have, we measure those in the three dimensions, and then we combine them, and we combine them using a technique which allows countries to have different resilience uh, vulnerability and resilience um, profiles, and yet 
in combining them, we don't lose these special characteristics. So we don't end up with kind of a mush of everybody being vulnerable a little bit. So everybody being on average, right? So we that's a, that's another thing. So we we have a methodology that does that. And I have to say the details of the methodology of some of the justification evidence and um, all of the data are available on the UN panel website. Another point is that people have talked about data. Yeah, we're using only publicly available data that has been vetted by a UN uh, agency, the UN itself or an IFI or whatever. So uh, we're using very reliable and stable uh, data. And so we think that also makes this uh, index um, special. And what was my third question? I think you answered. Uh, good. <laughs> if I've done it all, I'm going to stop. Thanks. <laughs> Thank, Thank you very much. Uh... Uh, Louise, no, I, I, I'm aware of your response earlier on, but I think some of our participants, uh, the audience, uh, have not heard you, so I would like to sort of ask the question. No, again. no, that's true. That's true. <laughs> You've been listening to me now for over a year. <laughs> I'm not actually clear how much familiarity the audience has, but again, I have to say all the documentation is on, on the website. Um, and there's a space for comments also. So we will hope that all of you that are interested in it will read that documentation and, and send us your comments. Thank you. Our next uh, panelist is uh, Emily. Um, and uh, Emily, you've done some uh, research uh, recently on international finance flow to SITS uh, for resilience. What did you find? And why do you think an MVI will be useful uh, for SITS? Thank you. Um... Yeah, so our report, a fair share of fin resilience finance for SIDS, closing the gap between vulnerability and allocation, is based on an analysis of international finance allocations to SIDS. So we look at all bi and multilateral finance flows, concessional, non-concessional, public and private philanthropic finance to the 38 SIDS countries for three things. So we have a particular focus on adaptation finance, Finance for renewable energy, which is particularly important for SIDS because of their dependence on um, energy imports. It's important for their resilience. And thirdly, on finance for disaster risk reduction, noting that SIDS are highly exposed to other hazards, not just those that are being aggravated by climate change. And the report does find that SIDS are considerably are receiving considerably less finance for their resilience than other groups of developing countries. Sarah mentioned at the beginning um, some of those figures. That's for um, absolute levels of resilience finance. But even as a percentage of GDP, uh, resilience finance for SIDS is low. LDCs, excluding SIDS, receive five times more, um, which is notable. And then if we look at the types of finance, um, more than a third of uh, this resilience finance going to SIDS is in the form of loans and other debt instruments, of which a third of that is not concessional. So we can already begin to see a kind of picture in some of the um, sort of uh, structural um, inequalities in the way that finance is being allocated, international development and climate finance is being allocated. Um, the problem, of course, is that without significant levels of resilience finance to implement programs of work to build the adaptation and resilience, SIDS will continue to be devastated by extreme weather and also perhaps the less dramatic but more insidious effects of sea level rise, salinization, coastal erosion and so on. Um, and SIDS are, in fact, receiving higher levels of uh, resilience finance per capita, as you may um, expect, but this is not really a fair comparison. And of course, the reason for that is because of the very small denominator. You, you know, divide, divide an, a number um, of uh, a level of finance by a very small number, and you're going to get a large sum. Um, and it's in the explanation of why that's not fair um, that um, we need to really pay attention. And you've heard already from uh, other panelists some of the reasons why SIDS are disadvantaged, precisely because they are small, um, they, they can experience very crippling impacts um, and losing very high levels of GDP. 
um, from impacts of external shocks that doesn't happen to other countries. Um, and because of the high cost of development as well, um, particularly in the more remote islands and the lack of economies of scale. I mean, reportedly it costs four times more to implement a development project in a small island developing state than it does anywhere else. So these are all reasons why SIDS will need higher levels of per capita, um, a higher per capita share of available uh, resilience finance. In the report, we also compare finance in relation to uh, vulnerability and we use the, um, the uh, pilot MBI scores and focus particularly on environmental vulnerability um, to look at um, the, the differences between SIDS and non-SIDS and find that SIDS have some of the highest levels of environmental vulnerability in relation to resilience finance. There is a relationship there. And conversely, many non-SIDS have low levels of environmental vulnerability and high, very high levels of uh, resilience finance. So um, I encourage you to look at the report to see, to look a bit more at the, um, the, the, the figures there, um, but you know, we can observe that relationship from um, the environmental vulnerability uh, scores that um, were produced during a pilot phase. So the report points to this very wide gap between vulnerability and allocation of finance. I want to just um, cover four uh, recommendations that cut across the development and climate finance reform agendas. Um, so firstly, um, the donors should aim to mainstream the use of a vulnerability index as a standard complementary measure to GNI per capita that's already been discussed in the allocation criteria. A few MDBs have already done so, but this needs to be replicated across all public development banks. Um, and allocations need to increase to SIDS consistently, not just in a crisis. The second is around using MVI indicators in the graduation process. Um, the OECD DAC members need to really seriously consider this additional criteria for a graduation so that countries don't graduate while they are still at risk from being set back um, by a shock. And at the very least, there should be um, put in place additional support um, over a determined period to boost the resilience of graduating countries. Uh, the third recommendation is around climate finance reform, um, which I'm happy to speak more about. The new co collective quantified goal on climate finance is up for renewal in 2025. And our research suggests that sub goals are really needed, uh, especially for SIDS and other vulnerable countries, because of the faster pace at which they're experiencing the climate emergency and their lower capability. So um, this would help spur reforms, I think, in the international climate funds um, to improve access. If you have a target of how much um, finance needs to be allocated to particular groups of countries, that mm -hmm. could possibly um, begin to spur some reform uh, within those institutions. And finally, this long-term goal could also specify a balance of instruments so that there is a kind of sub-goal on the percentage of finance that needs to be in grant form or very low interest, long-term loans for resilience investments. Um, so I'll leave it there, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Emily. Thanks for sharing the findings, of course, the recommendations that you make. I think some of these are uh, perhaps not completely new in, in terms of, uh, of the importance that uh, you place on them. But I think what is important is that we need the evidence. And I think the, the research finding provides those evidence in terms of the MEI. So thank you very much. I note that we've got 10 minutes left. And um, what I suggest is that we take uh, two questions from uh, here, uh, those who are present, and then uh, perhaps uh, those who are, are participating, uh, attending virtually. So perhaps uh, we can take, uh, are there any questions uh, from the floor? Yes, sir. You, you. Thank you very much. It's really well, interesting. You'll get the microphone. Yeah, get the mic. oh, online. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, this was very interesting 45 minutes. I have a comment, and I have two questions actually, and I'll spare the comment. Mm -hmm. The first is so you have this it's a technical comment, which is a question. So you have an index. Now, over time, 
you would expect if all things went well and your index actually did result in progress, you would expect the indices of individual countries to converge. So where would that convergence be? So in your index, what is the baseline and what is your optimal convergence level? Uh, or am I completely off track since I haven't seen it? Uh, the second technical question I had was a suggestion. So vulnerability happens in polar geographies as well. And I, I, I wouldn't actually fully, I don't think you meant to say it, but it came across like that. You know, uh, GNI levels per capita and vulnerability also endogenous. So poor countries are vulnerable because they are poor. And the SIDs are not necessarily, but poor countries are. So it would be useful to take this index to poor countries at the subnational level. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you've already done that and test it out there. You know, that is a political uh, advantage mm -hmm. that it brings you into political alliance with larger poor countries. I'm thinking of Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if there's any you know, plan to do that. Yeah. And the final question is, when will you review this? Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll, I'll ha have one more question and then we'll give our panelists uh, another minute, 30 seconds <laughs> to respond. I'm very sorry. Please. Yes, please, madam. Um, hello, I'm Valentina from Argentina. I work in climate change with local governments. Uh, actually, my question is, I know that this index is at the national level, but uh, right now, for example, uh, we are reporting to the United Nations through CDP platform. So um, in order to demonstrate that we are um, achieve not achieving but uh, uh, aligned with the 1.5 uh, celsius degrees we use the idh index the one of the united nations you know okay so is this national index going to uh, imply that at the subnational level we need to start um, constructing another index like for instance the the idh because this is not a requirement for us we do it uh, voluntary like we, we do it just in order to comply uh but uh i don't know if i'm being clear are we going to need to uh start constructing an, another kind of index at the subnational level so that you can use it for elaborating the mbi thank you very much so those two questions, we'll start from this side and we'll go across. Uh, just quickly, um, so this MVI is a national level index and it's compiled from internationally available data. Countries don't have to do anything except continue to report the data as they usually do. Um, uh, now, did we consider it as a subnational index? No. Why? We've had enough trouble putting together an <laughs> index at the national level uh, because of, and there were many variables that we wanted to use that we couldn't use because there was too much missing data. And so, no, this is the answer is this is not intended to be, if a country wants to use you know, calculate this itself and has the data to calculate it itself on uh, for regions, uh, a big country, it could choose to do so, but that's not really uh, our purpose. Now, do we expect the indices of countries to converge? No, we do not. Why? Because we are, this index is by design to measure structural vulnerability. So this is not something that actually changes over time. Things that change over time are driven mostly by policies and programs and investments. And these do not change over time. And so, no, we do not expect the vulnerability of the U.S. and the vulnerability of Jamaica to converge. Jamaica is an island country in the Caribbean, subject to hurricanes, and the U.S. is a big country with a big population, a very diverse economy, and it can sp spread its risks throughout a big, the big country and the big economy. So, no, we do not actually uh, expect convergence. And uh, review, we're in the review process. So please go online and have a look at our, our materials and give us comments and give us your review. Thank you. Thank you, Louise. Um, I, I think Louise has explained yeah. it really well, but just to add, I mean, there are elements, the structural elements, such as, I don't know, coastal elevation or something, you wouldn't expect that to change ever, really, or, you know, 
potentially very, very slowly. Um, and I think that's the point of it. It's also makes it quite, yeah, sort of political and contested, like an index that you can't necessarily sort of act to, to shift the scores or not very quickly. And I think that's the area which some of the development partners have reservations. Um, but yeah, certainly the point of it is not that it's, the scores are gonna change very quickly. Thank you. It's mentioned that the review process is ongoing now. It's This is nearly a part of the review process that we have a public meeting, but we also have this custodial body that we have we, we've proposed two different, may, maybe maybe it's not so different, but two different ways. We need a secretariat in some, either in some of the UN bodies with the responsibility for following this or a, a custodial, you know, a secretariat with a expert level on the top just coexisting with some UN body. So that because we believe we are in the start of this process, so it can be uh, elaborated and worked more on in the future. Uh, so, we, so we are trying to also build in that type of, of uh, you know, mechanisms for the future, because we don't think we will make a perfect suggestion, no. If I can just add to, to that, whatever index you do, is going to be a snapshot in time. Mm -hmm. And so because it's a snapshot in time, you would need to measure it at different points to see whether it has or has not changed. So from that perspective, uh, what we want to be able to do, and the panel is uh, looking to recommend that, is that if you end up with a vulnerability and resilience profile, then you have the means of observing that profile over time and changes in that profile, if you compare them, would now be indicative of whether or not you are quote unquote developing, because that in essence is what you're looking to do. You will develop if your resilience, if your reduction in vulnerability now makes it easier for you to develop going forward. And that links equally to the issue of, uh, of poverty. Poverty is, as it were, a measure of income. We don't yet, although we should, talk about poverty as poor development. And then you would now need to say, how do I want to reduce that gap? Which means you need to have some form of threshold, as you are suggesting, and how far you are from that threshold. And therefore, you would need a suite of policies equally to say, now, what do I need to do to shift me from where I am to the threshold of interest? But there are two very different elements. One is a stock snapshot. The other is now the active policies Louise was talking about that can now generate the development that you are interested in. And that's a different measure of another snapshot at some point in time. Thank you very much. I, we have, uh... I don't think we have any questions online. Can you read it out, please? Oh. Uh, the question is from Rafi Islam. And the microphone. microphone. Take the microphone, please. Okay, thank you. So the question is from Rafi Islam online. How do we ensure that ODA eligibility of SIDS does not crowd out funding for traditional recipients of ODA? Thank you. Panel member, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> One thing is that we have to lobby for people to increase their uh, donor participation. There's a whole, there's a whole discussion that comes up to the meeting in Paris in 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 the late June on on financing, which is uh, the Bridgetown Initiative made in Barbados, uh, uh, which is uh, of course discussing how can we use the funding we already have in a better way and and make sure of that. But I also think that we have to address the fact that this is also an issue about fairness. If you are vulnerable because you're a poor country or you're vulnerable because climate change changes your country, is there a reason why those who are vulnerable because they are poor should only be eligible for international funding? Or should also those who are vulnerable because of climate changes also be eligible for it? I mean, it's also a fairness issue about you know, if where the problem comes from. So I think we have to be honest that we also have to look sometimes at the vision of the money we have. And if that is uh, 
the fairness issue, I think we should be, be uh, uh, we are putting up more funding for Green Fund, for a lot of other issues, uh, climate change. And if, if the countries who are most vulnerable for climate change is not getting money, then of course it is a bit, uh, uh, I mean, it should be disputed in a way that they have a, that, that some of that money will be divided, or we would just make totally new arrangement for them. And, and coming from a donor country, I, usually, I have to be honest, uh, most countries um, have a sum that they have decided on like 1% or 0.7%. The nice countries have done that. The other ones have not done so much. And inside those 0.7 or 1%, there will be a division to what we think policy is the right thing to do. And I think that's where you just make sure that all countries who are vulnerable in some stage are part of this possibility. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I think with those uh, comments, it's, uh, you know, we'll run out of time. Let me, uh, on your behalf, thank our panelists uh, for their uh, very measured, uh, interesting uh, and direct uh, comments. I, I think uh, the issue of the MVI is, is very important uh, for all developing countries. I think some points have been made in terms of the need to ensure that it's evidence-based. Um, and I think the work will continue. This is not the end, it's the beginning. And thank you very much. I will now uh, invite uh, Rebecca Aprisi, uh, the uh, UK uh, envoy, uh, SITS envoy, uh, to uh, perhaps uh, for some closing uh, remarks. Sure. Thank you very much, Ambassador Lutero, and thank you again to ODI for organising today's really interesting discussion and to the panel for all of their amazing work um, on this MVI. Um, I think this message has been very clear today that what we're looking at is um, how we can address vulnerability. This for us is very important as it's uh, part of the Glasgow Climate Pact that we want vulnerability to be a consideration and allocation of finance. And we want to ensure that we're working on supporting resilience and increasing resilience um, in the SIDS. We know that the small island developing states are um, have a, a particular combination of economic and climate um, vulnerability with narrow economies and being on the front line of climate change, many of them. And also, of course, some of the SIDS are also um, poorer developing countries. Some of the LDCs are also SIDS as well. So um, it's, uh, you know, they're not distinct groups. Um, they overlap, I think, around 20% of developing countries are SIDS. 25% um, even, maybe 20% of the LDCs, something like that. Um, so um, uh, there are some uh, some quite convincing, compelling statistics about vulnerability. UNCTAD found that the SIDS are about 35% more vulnerable on average than their peers at that level of development. And um, we've seen some worrying trends. So the pandemic has on average affected SIDS worse than other groups, and they've taken a longer time um, to, to recover from that, which is um, partly because of um, things like tourism dependence with narrow economies. Um, and so on. So that, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of evidence that this is a really important issue. Um, there's been a response to the situation of SIDS. So um, the World Bank has um, responded with their small island economies exception. And um, the UN, of course, has been, um, has looked at SIDS as a group with, um, with special development needs. Um, but there's, so there's consensus around the fact that there is some vulnerability, but it's difficult, you know, there's a big debate about how you measure that, which is what we've been talking about today. And of course, um, it is very complicated, but, you know, it's very important. So the MVI could be um, a good solution to this. Um, there's been a really, um, really interesting comments and discussion, and I know that the panel has got um, plenty of um, food for thought. And of course, it's really important that the MBI that we come up with, we would really like it to be something that can be adopted and used um, widely and be a kind of tool that we wonder how we ever managed without it um, at some point. So, you know, we're looking um, for um, a very um, a, a robust and um, credible outcome to this whole process. And um, we would really like, like to see that by the UN SID Summit, which mm -hmm. is next year in Antigua um, in June, I think next year. Um, so we're really looking forward to that as being a really important moment where we can um, celebrate some progress with regard to recognizing some of SID's special issues. 
Um, so I think, you know, it's important that the panel takes the time and um, looks mm -hmm. at the feedback and make sure that we come up with a product that is that is really, really good. Um, we've set out a vision for SIDS in the UK's international development strategy um, focused on ensuring climate and economic resilience. And um, we really want to make sure that we make some really concrete progress um, towards that. So we've done um, some work as well as um, supporting um, meetings like this one today. Um, we've um, established a task force, launched a task force in the Development Assistance Committee of OECD to um, look at um, developing a partnership um, ahead of the summit. Um, we also have um, a global Friends of SIDS group bringing together a coalition of SIDS and development partners as well to um, work together to look at how we can um, secure international reform. And so we're really looking forward to working together with our um, SIDS friends, donor partners as well, to make sure that we make some real progress before the summit next year. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Emily, do you wish to make Thank any you. final? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you all very much for coming, everyone online. Um, hopefully this is the, the beginning of a, a longer discussion. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone, for your participation. Thank you. Thank you.